It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy Monday, all you Gamecock fans. J.C. Sherbert here with you. It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Monday edition. It is July 13th, 2020. Thank you for joining us and or joining me and being here uh, as we continue to roll on through what should be a very eventful month of July. You know, the SEC is meeting today. Um, after last Friday where, you know, we kind of expected a lot of news. Uh, I think the entire college football world expected some news on the season. Maybe all the conferences following the Big Ten, but uh, some conferences put the brakes on. And uh, I'm going to kind of walk through that with you first and foremost because I've been talking to some folks sort of in and around the college football industry, uh, television agents, coaches, uh, some administration, some connections and sources, that kind of thing. And uh, I, I kind of got the picture, I guess, uh, drawn more clearly uh, for me in terms of how it affects primarily the SEC, because if, if all the conferences are going to kind of, you know, go within and there's not going to be non-conference games or there may be very few, obviously from a South Carolina standpoint, which is what we care about here, uh, we got to talk about the SEC because they're a member of the Southeastern Conference, and that's important. But also the ACC, I think, plays a factor in this too, and I'll tell you why. If you think about it, what two conferences have television networks that are funded and run by ESPN primarily? Um, because we do have the Longhorn Network, uh, but that's just for Texas and Obviously, they're a part of the Big 12, but the Big 12 doesn't have its own network. So, primarily, the, the conference channels uh, are the ACC and the SEC. Um, if you think about the money perspective, you know, the SEC uh, and the ACC provide programming, live events uh, for ESPN, for ESPN to collect their money from cable providers such as Comcast and Xfinity, which is Comcast, and uh, Time Warner, which uh, those that live in Columbia probably shared my frustration with once or twice. Uh, Charter, uh, I think we have Charter up in the upstate, but uh, those companies, you know, pay ESPN per cable subscriber. Um, And to get that money, you have to broadcast so many live sporting events, and they've had no live sports. And if you think about the Disney company, You know, they reopened Walt Disney World in Florida this week. Uh, I thought some of the social media reaction to that was ugly uh, and uncalled for. Um, But, you know, they opened and, you know, a lot of some some big time Disney fanatics were there at the Magic Kingdom or whatever. But if you think about the Walt Disney Company, their most profitable things are ESPN, the theme parks. And then they own 40, you know, last year they had 40% of the box office in this country. Well, movie production's at a standstill. Uh, The theme parks have been closed all over the world. And ESPN has had no live sporting events. So so this this puts that entire company in jeopardy. Now, luckily for Disney, you know, it's the Disney Corporation and they got 13 billion in a line of credit to kind of get them through. You know, they didn't, they didn't need the PPP loan. They just kind of went to the bank and they're like, sure, you're good for it. We know uh, you own half of entertainment um, and it'll come back or whatever. But, but it's important for ESPN 
and their channels to carry live sporting events. That includes the ACC and SEC networks. You know, so how it was explained to me from a couple of folks that that would know uh, is that you may see an alliance. And uh, Andy Staples reported this, that the, the, the SEC schools that have ACC rivals would really like to play. You know, Kentucky would really like to play Louisville. South Carolina would really like to play Clemson. Florida would really like to play Florida State. And Georgia would really like to play Georgia Tech. And so, you know, they, they want to try to get that done. And so how it was explained to me was the ACC and SEC could form kind of an alliance. Uh, in other words, you know, and you're going to have Notre Dame in the mix in the ACC as well because John's uh, – John Swafford, they haven't replaced him yet, even though he's retiring, um, said that, you know, Notre Dame's part of them. They're going to take care of Notre Dame. So Notre Dame's going to play a whole entire ACC schedule this year, uh, and maybe they get in, in the mix. So, so in other words, uh, you, you got Ole Miss, uh, and, and let's say that Ole Miss loses their game with Baylor, you know, which is supposed to be played in Houston. Well, Ole Miss may instead of playing – maybe instead of playing Baylor, they play um, – you know, Tennessee, or, I mean, I'm sorry, that was a a brain drain right there, Virginia Tech. So, you know, that kind of situation, maybe Texas A&M, instead of playing, I think they were playing Colorado out of the Pac-12, obviously that's off the table, maybe Texas A&M plays Virginia or or Duke or, or somebody like that. NC State scheduled to play Mississippi State and Auburn is scheduled to play North Carolina this year. Um, the North Carolina Auburn game was on a neutral field. I don't know if they'd still play that in Atlanta or not. Uh, NC State, Mississippi State is in Raleigh. Um, you know, but I, if this kind of does come down to where that I means you've already got, when you include North Carolina, Auburn, and Mississippi State, NC State, six games um, to kind of get you to nine or, or ten, you know, if they want to play nine conference and then a tenth, um, that would make sense. Also, if you think about it over the years, the Big 12 and SEC have worked together um, on a lot of things. Uh, you know, the Big 12 SEC Challenge in basketball is one. You know, when the, the playoff happened, the Big 12 and SEC signed a deal for the Sugar Bowl. Um, they, they called it the Champions Bowl, and then they, they kind of selected the Sugar Bowl as the bowl to be the Champions Bowl. So when the Sugar Bowl is not part of the playoff, they host Big 12 SEC matchup down there in New Orleans, which, which makes a lot of sense geographically and all that. So, so the, the, you know, the Big 12 does have a relationship uh, with the Southeastern Conference as well uh, in case something like that happens. So those are the three leagues that have not decided. Uh, I do think the ESPN angle with TV is interesting. Uh, I do think that when you're talking about live sporting events, I, I was told that, you know, you can run – a potential SEC ACC matchup on both networks and uh, feel your obligation uh, in terms of live events. Um, And and they're probably going to have to get creative. Uh, So, uh, you know, kind of look for that and, you know, kind of think about that as maybe a reason that when we all expected the ACC to say, we're going conference only, uh, but they didn't do it because they, you know, with that network that they have and as fledgling as it is, you know, that, that could be in jeopardy, uh, honestly, you know, so, so they're kind of trying to work together uh, with everybody behind the scenes. Um, you know, once again, and, I, and a lot of people backed me up on this and I said it uh, on 
the podcast on Friday, you know, the reason for conference only is not geography and travel necessarily. Um, the Big 12 takes up the entire northern fourth of the country. The SEC stretches from College Station, Texas, to Gainesville, Florida. Um, and as far north as Lexington, Kentucky, or Columbia, Missouri, you know, that, that those, are, those aren't short distances. You know, we're not talking about um, the old school ACC where they went from Maryland to Atlanta and then down to Tallahassee at some point. You know, conferences are spread out um, regardless, so you can't, you know, you can't eliminate long flights. Um, the reason that they want to do this is, is testing and testing protocols and having something uniform. You know, the NCAA has not gotten involved with this. There's a great financial cost when it comes to testing and medical care and quarantines. And, and, and you just open yourself up to a lot of potentially unfortunate situations if you have a school that comes in that can't really afford a test and it's not testing week and there's been an outbreak that you don't know about, then you go play that team and that team gets your team sick and then you're, you're, you're it's a domino effect. Um, you know, and it's not, you know, fair, I think, financially to ask, you know, Coastal Carolina or Wofford or East Carolina to test with the same standards, to have the same protocol that, um, you know, South Carolina does, you know, in terms of that. There's my dog. I don't know what the deal is there. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, the old red has to come in. I, I thought that I told some people that I was recording, but I guess not. <laughs> so here he goes. Um, but anyway, distractions aside, you know, it's about testing protocol and it's about, you know, an evil, even playing field when it comes to dealing with the coronavirus uh, and the testing. And then the second part of that is, you know, you go to 10 games and you already got two open dates, I think, built in this year. Maybe it's one, but you go to 10 games or even nine. And I think that when you when you look at it, it gives you flexibility uh, because it's easier for a conference just to say, OK, this game's going here or this game's going there. Um, than it is to sit there and try to negotiate, and you know, with this non-conference game. And, and you know, Brandon Marcello for Twenty Four Seven Sports in a great article uh, pointed it out yesterday. You know, you know, you don't know what Southern Cal is going to be doing if you're Alabama. You know, you have no idea. And so uh, I, I think that with regards to that, you know, you you, you kind of give yourself some flexibility. And another thing Brandon pointed out in his article is these guys are all trying to get to where they can play conference championship games. And if you can get to six or seven conference games, you can get to a conference championship game type scenario and you can salvage the playoff. Now, it's unfortunate. You know, nobody wants six-game seasons. I haven't experienced a six-game season that I've cared about since junior high school at D.R. Hill Middle School. I think we played, you know, six my seventh grade year and we played eight eighth grade year no we played five seventh grade because we went five and oh it was kind of the jv team seventh grade team you know then i guess uh the eighth grade team the varsity team we played eight we went five and oh as a seventh grade team and two and six senior year which is awful i don't know how that happened not senior year eighth grade year dr hill the fighting tigers golden black 
like Missouri, for those of you that, that think there was a tiger paw or whatever. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, so that's, that's not ideal, but you can do it. Uh, keep standings and then, um, you know, have the big game in Atlanta and then preserve the playoff. The other thing Brandon reported that I thought was interesting is everything is on the table with regard to the playoffs. So they may expand it this year. Um, and actually what the exact quote was, the playoff is going to do any anything they can to accommodate this season. Um, and, you know, I think that if you have less games, but then you have an 18 playoff, that would be good. Uh, it'd be good for television. It'd be good for the sport. Um, and, and I don't know – you know, everybody hates bowl games, especially the national media. But I don't know that I would count the bowl games out either because, again, bowl games have become made-for-TV productions. They're not necessarily like they used to be where the guy in the suit would go around and, and politic to get the team that would sell the most tickets uh, to come in and play. Um, they make most of their money off television. And so – uh, and it's very valuable programming during kind of a black hole uh, for ESPN uh, over the Christmas holidays. And so, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out, you know, do I think we'll have a full schedule of bowls? I don't know. Uh, but I wouldn't rule out some sort of bowl season either uh, to be honest. And a lot of that does depend on, you know, the, the numbers with regard to the virus. I mean, and, and I'll be honest, I don't know that, we still will even have a season. I know some of you have been speculating that this is just the first step toward canceling it. That may, may very well be true. Uh, I think that's unfortunate. Uh, I think that, um, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate from the standpoint that I do think there's some people that, you know, like, like Clay Travis pointed out the other day to justify their fear. They want something canceled. They want something taken away. I've seen some media members who, you know, don't live in the South. They quite frankly don't like the South. Uh, they don't like the fact that the governors in that state opened up, those states opened up too early. Uh, they think we're a bunch of idiots, uh, which I don't think we're the idiots, to be honest. I, I think that there's, you know, idiots in, in all states. <laughs> and, um, you know, so they want to kind of punish us. And uh, I don't like that at all. I think that's BS. I think that has nothing to do with playing the college football season or not. You know, the fact that you want to, you know, punish a region because, you know, state X voted for candidate Y and therefore, you know, this has been mishandled. Therefore you should, I mean, that's, that's not the United States of America. And, and there was one very terrible tweet from a certain uh, I guess he's a sports business reporter or whatever. I'm not sure what he does. He just kind of stirs things up on Twitter. But uh, yesterday it said, you know, had the SEC states listed with the case numbers and all that and had Arizona in there too. I mean, I, I don't know when Arizona joined the SEC or Arizona State, uh, although that'd be a cool road trip. <laughs> um, you know, and they're like, hope you're happy hope you enjoy college football, you know, and I'm just like, eh, you know, let's not politicize this. And, and the virus, to be honest, never, ever on either side of the aisle should have been politicized. I mean, this should have not been ever a political issue. And unfortunately it has been politicized uh, in my opinion on both sides. Uh, and I think that sucks. And that too is un-American, <laughs> um, you know, because the government exists 
to take care of things like that, you know, no matter who we vote for. And so I, I think that's um, that. But yeah, I'm not going to get too far into the political weeds there. I just I think the folks that are anti-college football now, you know, are kind of almost becoming anti-South uh, as well. And by God, I'm from the South. Uh, I live in the South. Uh, it's my home. I know the people. I know people's hearts in the South. Um, and, and I've lived elsewhere, too. And I'll be honest with you. You know, I, I'm going to stand up for my folks, uh, you know, that live down south you know, of all races, creeds and colors, you know, because I, I think over the years, you know, we've built a pretty good place to live and a pretty good quality of life uh, down south. And I think there's a lot of jealousy uh, because of that. And I think that, you know, folks that are jealous need to kind of look in the mirror and look at kind of where they live and how they can make positive changes. Um, and I'm not saying the South's perfect, but there's a lot of hate uh, out there, you know, and, and, and I think that that's sad uh, to kind of broad brush paint, you know, an entire region of people, you know, based on, you know, who may be a little more popular politically in those states, number one, uh, and number two, uh, because there's a really good quality of life in the southeastern United States, and there's not everywhere else. Um, so I'll just leave it at that with all that. But so so that's what's kind of going on there, um, you know. And and I think by and large, conference seasons are going to be good um, as far as the Gamecocks go. Uh, it just kind of depends on if they play eight or nine, because if they play eight or, or sorry nine or ten. Uh, I think they'll play. I think they'll schedule more than eight. Let me put it that way. Um, I would like to see them schedule ten. And everything I've read says they'd like to try to get to ten. Um, so that's nine SEC plus Clemson. Now, there's a a lot just depends on who that extra SEC game is against. I saw an Alabama writer the other day speculating that South Carolina would come to Tuscaloosa. That would be tough, you know. And and in that situation. You know, I know every everybody wants to play Clemson, and by God, that game to me, you got to play Clemson every year, in my opinion. I don't care how good they are, bad they are, how good South Carolina is. Otherwise, it's a rivalry. You know, man up and go play uh, is what I say. Um, but I think you really have to think about it. Uh, if you're pushing for the Clemson game and the SEC turns around and hands you Alabama on the road as your ninth conference game, um, <laughs> that's brutal, you know, because basically you're replacing, you know, the wins that you'd have probably had against Coastal Wofford and uh, Coastal Wofford and East Carolina with a sure loss in Tuscaloosa, probably. Now you never know. I mean, this season's going to be very unpredictable. There's nothing perfect or fair about this year. Um, but instead of winding it back, I mean, I, I would I would hope almost they'd wind it forward. You know, I, I, Carolina could play Auburn this year. Uh, I think that's a matchup. You know, Carolina's never beaten Auburn, but they could match up with them. Um, and I don't know, you know, who, who knows if they could match up with Alabama or not. I highly doubt it, you know. Uh, and, you're, 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 you know, your you're extra two games besides the eight conference games you got scheduled already, which include – LSU, Georgia, Texas A&M, uh, Tennessee, Florida, those schools. 
you're adding Alabama and Clemson. Those are your extra two. That's not – that's tough. I mean, that indeed would be – I argued that, you know, the Gamecocks didn't have the toughest schedule in the country last year and that I didn't think they would have it again this year. But you add those two – I mean, if it's Alabama, Clemson, Clemson's already on it technically. So you add Alabama and take away the others, I don't see any way that's not the toughest schedule in the country. Um, and so we'll see what happens there. You know, if I'm the Gamecocks, uh, I'm I'm pushing – you know, I'm, I'm going to be part of the pushing to play your ACC rival deal. But I'm also going to be pushing to play Arkansas or, you know, Mississippi State or Ole Miss. You know, I, I think if the SEC is fair about it, what they'll do is they'll, they'll kind of look, you know, Alabama's already playing Georgia, you know, so maybe they play Florida, you know. Um, they're already playing Tennessee, you know, so, so, you know, maybe they play Florida or Kentucky, um, and just kind of match it up based on preseason expectations, uh, and to make it fair. I mean, and, and I think too, that, that provides more good matchups for TV, <laughs> you know, for Bama to play the Gators. Um, and it, uh, also provides for, you know, some competitive balance. I mean, I you know, I don't, I don't know that the Gamecocks need to go play Bama when they're playing Clemson and LSU and Georgia and Florida and Texas A&M already. I mean, you've already got A&M and LSU from that other division. You know, so that leaves Auburn, Bama. That leaves Arkansas, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. You know, the other four, you know, pick one of those. And, and, you know, if you think about it, too, if people want to talk about geography, Auburn's close to South Carolina. You know, that's it's a – you could bust down to Auburn. It's just like an hour on the other side of Atlanta. So, you know, maybe um, maybe that's the direction that they go and they just say, okay, you play whoever's closest. Um, you know, Vanderbilt would probably play Bama, Tuscaloosa. Um, you know, who knows, you know. Somebody needs to play Missouri, so <laughs> I guess the you know send somebody out there. I, I know I'm not sure. Maybe A and M. I don't know, but um, and I don't I don't have the schedules in front of me. So anyway, that's the latest on that. Um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of leaks out of these SEC meetings today. I don't know if there'll be announcements or not. Um, but things are going to get wild as far as them being creative in terms of having a season, and and I hope I hope they have a season. You know, some of the some of the folks were you know, the, the kind of push narratives uh, for a living. Um, we're talking about uh, how the conference only may save it. That may be what saves the seasons, you know, so who knows? I still think that uh, it's pretty much ridiculous, you know, to want to have a normal college experience this year, given what college is when you're talking about students. Um, I think that's insane. And I think it, I thought it was insane to tie at the football, you know, to begin with, um, you know, because, because there's no rule that says like the University of Phoenix could not have a football team. That's a big online college. Okay. <laughs> there's no rule. There, there's nothing. I mean, it doesn't say, you know, and maybe, maybe there is somewhere in the NCAA that you have to have in-person instruction or whatever, but, you know, technology's advanced. Got to go a semester of online learning for the student body. Again, I think that's unfortunate. 
And I agree that, you know, it's probably not as valuable as sitting in a classroom, especially with certain subjects. Um, but I just, I, I just think colleges are like major spread type deals. You know, it, it, it's, you know I just don't think college kids are going to listen um, at all times. I mean, their college kids are going to college kid and rightfully so. Um, but I, I think that, you know, tying football to that sort of super spread type deal is asinine. I mean, I just don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know what people are thinking. It's, it's much easier to control the spread when you're talking about a college football team, 200 people, staff, all that, and then playing it with a limited amount of fans than it is to control 38,000 students uh, who are drinking and partying. And, you know, hey, you can close the bars down all you want. They're going to get together at houses and throw parties and, you know, do whatever. Go out in the woods, you know, mud bogging. I don't know. I don't know who goes mud bogging anymore. But uh, so anyway, that's all that. I'm off my soapbox about that. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. Of course, on thebigspur.com, if you are a VIP subscriber, all over that today, talking about this, discussing it, uh, please join up. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's time to be informed by things, and uh, we've done a good job of informing you guys every step of the way when it comes to all this stuff. So, you know, what we are welcome to join up. I think you can get it for like a – a discount we're always running. We, we run so many specials. I don't even remember what it is. Um, but there's some sort of deep discount. If you're not a VIP member, you can get today and hang out with me and Whittle and Tony and John Del Bianco and Hale McGranahan and, you know, Carrie Rich and all of our fun posters and um, have a, have a blast there on the big spur.com. All right. So football stuff, George Wilson, and I uh, started getting wind of this on Friday night. George Wilson, the four-star defensive end out of Virginia Beach, commits to South Carolina over North Carolina. Now, he's a guy that, that when you kind of looked at, you know, the defensive line class and edge rushers, uh, after Zaire Patterson went to Clemson, you kind of started looking at George Wilson, you know, hey, this guy's 6'5", he's 215, he's ultra-athletic, got a quick first step. You can see what he can become when you're watching him. Uh, kind of a guy that could play the buck position um, with Jordan Birch and, you know, I guess Brad Johnson's going to be over there this year, Rodriguez Fitton, um, Gilbert Edmond, who's coming in, is going to be a buck. Uh, and I think this guy's really, really sneaky, high upside good. Steve Wiltfong for 24-7 was mentioning it too. Um, and, uh, you know, in reading what Charles Power wrote, uh, one of our other recruiting analysts, and talking to him, you know, it, this is another guy that had there been summer football and camps and things like that, you know, and had they got they, they wanted to get another look at him, you know, they, they thought he could end up being top 100, but there's no in-person evaluation. So you just, he just kind of flounders down there. Um, but I think this is good for a number of reasons. Number one, you all, you know, the, the whole focus of this recruiting class is speed, athleticism. That's got to improve uh, on both sides of the ball. And he's one that, you know, definitely you, you chalk up to being very athletic. Um, pass rushing ability. Carolina always needs pass rushers. You always need pass rushers in this scheme that have that natural ability. He's got it. Um, so I think, you know, bring him on in. Um, 
I, I think when you when you kind of look at DJ Wanham and how his career turned out and DJ's size coming out of high school, you know, this guy's probably ended up being about DJ's size. Uh, I think he's a little bit quicker off the line of scrimmage than DJ. Um, I he kind of think he compares to like a KJ Bryant that signed with Clemson. I know KJ was a five-star, but he's kind of that developmental long, tall guy. Um, you know, people throw the name Devin Taylor out there as well. You know, a guy that's going to probably need a red shirt to bulk up and all that, but very quick first step, very athletic guy. Um, also from a part of the country that the Gamecocks don't normally get guys out of, but that's talent rich. And, you know, it's a 757 Tidewater, you know, Virginia Beach, Norfolk area. Um, I'll say this, you know, once you get one guy out of that region, you can get more. It, it, it's kind of one of those things. It's a lot like South Florida up there where kids tend to follow other kids and, and things like that. And, you know, you think about it, you know, Rashad Fenton and Chris Lamont's helped them get, you know, player X, player Y from down in South Florida. Uh, and they have a nice little thing going there. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think that uh, when you look at it from the standpoint of, you know, the 757, I think that's good. And I think with this class, the silver lining in facing these headwinds is the Gamecocks have had to spread out a little bit more, you know, to get players. Uh, and you look at it, you, you've got a Reynolds and a John Darius Morgan out of the state of Alabama. You know, that's always worked over the years when the Gamecocks have gone into that state and gotten players. Um, you know, this is the second commitment from Virginia. Uh, they beat North Carolina on both of them, Bryce Steele. Uh, and then this kid, George Wilson, beat North Carolina and Penn State uh, on this guy, you know. And so Virginia, which sends a lot of students to South Carolina, can end up being a very valuable pipeline. Uh, and I include D.C. where they got Marshawn Lloyd. Um, you know, so you think about that, that that's pretty good. You know, they, they went into the panhandle of Florida. Pensacola is not a place. Gosh, who's the last guy they got out of Pensacola? I think Matt Coffey. Remember Matt Coffey? I think Matt Coffey's the last guy they got out of that part of Florida. Um, and, and there's guys that come up. I mean, you know, the, the problem down there is a lot of your bigger-time guys, you know, there's not a lot of mid-range type of guys, um, like a Simeon Price where and, – and, you know, you don't know. Simeon Price could have had a, a bunch of offers, before, you know, if he'd have camped or whatever. Uh, but a lot of those guys go to the Alabama schools because it's right there close to Alabama – or they stay in state or, or whatever. It's it's just not a place where South Carolina's registered a lot over the years. Well, lo and behold, Bobby Bentley goes in and gets Simeon Price. I mean, I think that's a another good pickup. So you you know, they're expanding geographically a little bit because it's not as deep in state. Um at the same time, you know, you kind of look at the linebacker position. Um, Bryce Steele uh and Trenelius Tatum are committed. Uh I think this uh this kid from, I think it's Jordan Poole uh, from North Carolina, will Gamecocks will be in the mix for him uh, if he holds off and visits because um, his other school is NC State, and I'm just not – I'm not confident in the direction of their program. <laughs> and so I, I think that if he, you know, comes to South Carolina, does it, they could get him. But it's, it's a nice group of linebackers. I think when you're just talking about the athlete category – Certainly, they've added a lot of guys like that. And then the D-line, you know, when you think about last year, you got Jordan Birch, Taka Hemingway, Boogie Huntley, um, you know, guys like that. And then you're adding the George Wilsons of the world and 
TJ Sanders in there. Um, you know, and I forgot to mention Makia Scott uh, in last year's class. I mean, you're, you're, you're stacking numbers behind numbers uh, on the D line. And I think that's very important when you're talking about depth of that position, which you need um, and increasing the overall athleticism. So, you know, I, I think bottom line uh, is this class, you know, they, they, they still need to add more speed and, skill, talent, or whatever. But the bottom line is this class, you know, you, you kind of look around and it, it's probably not as bad as people have thought. And I think that, uh, you know, it has a chance to end up even better, you know. And, and uh, there's always a surprise with Will Muschamp recruiting. Um, you know, I don't know that anybody expected the game guys to get Marshawn Lloyd when he committed on Memorial Day last year, but they got him. You know, they got George Wilson. Um I think people expected him to go to North Carolina, but uh, and he ended up coming with the Gamecocks. So I, I think that, uh, you know, you look at, you know, sort of that style of recruiting and uh, it still works. And, you know, even though they've been behind the eight ball with everything from, you know, losing record to hot seat talk to, you know, pandemic that, that prevents them from getting kids on campus to build relationships with. So it, it hasn't been easy. Uh, and so I think they've done the best they can, and that's right now that's pretty good is how it sits. I I would not be surprised at all, folks, though. I'm going to warn you on this. <laughs> the, the commit list right now may not look anything like the commit list when it's done. Um, I think it's kind of a work in progress. Uh, I, I, I don't know that South Carolina is going to be immune to a lot of what I consider or I think will be sweeping changes once everything opens back up and kids can visit again, I think there'll be a wild west kind of deal just because we have so many committed across the country right now, twice as many as last year. Um, and you have to think some of these guys out there made decisions based on zoom calls and, and text and phone calls and things like that. And they didn't get a kind of an up close and personal look at the school. Um, and that could be both good and bad. You know, you visit another school and then you're like, oh, I love the school. And then, you know, you go to your school you committed to and you're like, oh, well, in reality, it looks a lot different, you know. <laughs> and and that, that's kind of a, a that can kind of be like a, a metaphor for the world we live in. You know, people look on Twitter and then like, oh, reality is a lot different. Um, and, uh, you know, so that, that could work against the school. Um, that has a commit, but, you know, you could also, you know, have a situation where, you know, a kid, you know, goes to the school that he's committed to and, you know, loves it and sticks. And you can also have a situation where, you know, a kid doesn't go and visit anywhere else, but he visits the school he committed to and he has a bad experience. He doesn't like it. So he just opens it completely back up. Um, you just don't know until you've been there. And there, there's been a lot of sight unseen commitments, which is tough. Um, you know, and, and I loved Will Muschamp's virtual visit. I thought that was a, an outstanding production and all that, uh, you know, and, and if that gets guys in the boat, so be it. But it's nothing like actually seeing it. Um, and so I think I, I'm still of the opinion that in recruiting, uh, just like everything else with regards to college football this year, there, there's going to be no normal there's probably not going to be a whole lot of fair either. You know, people are going to go, that's not fair. Well, there's going to be nothing fair about this year, um, period. 
So, but I, anyway, regardless of all that or what may happen in recruiting, I, I, I like this class from a defensive line standpoint right now. You know, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins from Gaffney obviously uh, is a big piece of the puzzle when we talk about moving forward. TJ Sanders is already in the boat. Uh, and then you got George Wilson. I mean, that's a heck of a bunch of athleticism and upside getting added to, you know, the defensive line that's already promising. You know, you already got some good defensive linemen in the program, young ones, you know, guys that are like Rick Sandage and J.J. and Igbari that are juniors that really need to have great years this year. Um, they have a load of potential. Um, you got Zach Pickens sitting there, Jordan Birch coming in, Boogie Huntley coming in, Taki Hemingway. Uh, in my opinion, is going to be really, really good in time. Um, and so I, I think you got a lot of guys. Joe, Joe, nobody talks about Joe Anderson anymore. I think that guy uh, could end up being really good and surprising. So, you know, there's a lot of players right now in the program uh, on the D-line, and I think that, uh, you know, that's a, that's a big piece of it because we all remember the 2014 season. I don't even know how that defense ever stopped anybody. They didn't have a – I think their best defensive lineman was J.T. Surratt, good player. Not great, good, though, really good. Um, and then they had nobody in the secondary. <laughs> I mean, geez, man. I don't know how that 2014 team stopped anybody ever. How'd they hold Missouri to only 21? I mean, I don't know. How'd they hold Florida? I guess – I guess we know the answer to that. And it was Kurt Roper was calling plays and had a defensive back at quarterback, Treon Harris. But, man, oh, man. You know, I think about the personnel on that team, and I'm like, wow. It's night and day different. But, honestly, I mean, if you think about the Spurrier staff, they recruited some guys that were in position to sort of fix it. The problem in 2015 was Spurrier made a terrible, terrible – terrible mistake with the John Hope deal and then not giving John Hope his own guys. You know, I had the displeasure of, of sitting through that spring practice watching uh, Deke Adams and Lorenzo Ward try to co-coach the defensive tackles, defensive line. Well, Lorenzo Ward wasn't a defensive line coach. I mean, and Hope, you know, calling it – the game was sort of passed him by. I mean, it just, you know, it, it was a disaster. But if you think about it, by the time 2017 got there, <laughs> and look, that wasn't that wasn't one of these super-duper Gamecock defenses, but the 2017 defense was very opportunistic. And a lot of guys that they recruited <clears throat> after that 2014 year, Dante Sawyer, for example, led the country in forced fumbles. You know, I thought Ulrich Jones as a backup defensive tackle had a good year and he blocked some kicks. Of course, Ken Law, that was his first year as well. Um, and that wasn't, a, that wasn't a Spurrier recruit, by the way. Uh, you know, Taylor Stallworth, uh, who got to the NFL, playing for the Saints, uh, was a big part of that group. Um, you know, Chris Lamont obviously was a Spurrier recruit. Rashad Fenton, obviously a Spurrier recruit. Um, so they did kind of – to their credit, I think with that class of 2015, which could have had Jair Alexander and Arden Key in it <laughs> and Mark Fields, um, that, that class did – they did have the guys in place to turn it around. I just think that, you know, Deke Adams obviously was a bad hire from the start. 
because you, all you got to do is look at Jadevi and Clowney's production between 2012 and 2013, and it'll tell you that. Um, he should have probably been fired after that year. Um, so that's number one. Uh, you know, and, and not that Deke can't do well other places and hadn't done well other places, but, you know, wish him all the best. I think he's at Ole Miss now. Wish him all the best there. Um, but it just wasn't a good fit. He obviously, for the South Carolina defensive line and, and that defense, he didn't know what he's doing or, or, or whatever. Let's say this, because it's ugly to say he doesn't know what he's doing. I'll say this. Whatever he was doing was not working. <laughs> um <clears throat> And he almost got in a fight with Kirk Bodkin game two. Like when you're in game two and the linebackers coach tries to take you out on the sidelines, you know, because the D line has to work in conjunction with the linebackers, you know, that may tell you something uh, about, about that. So nevertheless, uh, you know, that was awful. The Hoke, the Hoke thing was awful. Um, he probably could have gone and, you know, hired an up-and-coming D coordinator or something, you know, if you weren't going to do the must-champ thing when all that happened. You know, you <laughs> it just, you know, it, and, and that, that's what got it. I mean, but, but to their credit, when you kind of look back on it, you know, and, and look, I, and, I, and I'm going to tell you, it, as much as they left some guys that individually the must-champ staff developed and got to the next level, you know, there weren't very many guys at all, you know, but the guys they did leave, you know, I think we can all say, you know, Hey, Lamont's is on an NFL roster. Rashad Fenton played the Super Bowl last year. Spurrier recruit. Debo Samuel was a Spurrier junior recruit, albeit late. Um, you know, Dennis Daly, Sean Elliott placed him when he was working for Spurrier and then got him back. Uh, you know, so he's a must champ recruit, but, Originally, the, the, that staff placed it. Um, Steve Spurrier Jr. had Brian Edwards committed. I think you have to give the Muschamp staff credit for getting him back in the boat because he was about to go, you know, but, you know, they did get him. And so you can say that. So you look at all these guys that have been drafted. Hayden Hurst was part of the infamous walk-home program. <laughs> um, now, the new staff deserves – the credit to for getting these guys there because you know Hurst was a receiver and they were like yeah maybe you bulk up and play tight end you know then, oh well, that's a good idea you know <laughs> and um so they did leave a smattering of guys and, and so I, I think that you know where they hit rock bottom you know was that defense in 2014 and I, I think that you know coaching staff blunders and recruiting blunders maybe caused 2015 to fall apart on that. And they didn't have a quarterback. Um, you know, I often kind of wonder had Spurrier just gone with Perry Orth the whole time and would, would things have been different? I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, that's a walk down memory lane. <laughs> I tend to do that at times. This is inside the Gamecocks podcast. All right. So that's Monday. We got the SEC meeting today. Uh, you got to be excited about a new pass rusher, George Wilson coming into the program from the Virginia Beach area, 757, Tidewater. That that area has a lot of players, and I think, you know, I've seen it over the years. Once you get one, and go back and get one the next year, a couple the next year, South Carolina kind of becomes a popular place to go. And, look, geographically, it's closer 
to South Carolina than I think any other SEC school. May you may be able to get across the state of Virginia and head into Knoxville mile-wise a little bit less, but I'm not sure about that. Um, so, yeah, the Tidewater is a big deal. Gamecocks, obviously, I mean, kid, Virginia kids will leave the state in a heartbeat. And so, you know, you start getting guys from up there, um, there's a lot of skill talent, a lot of speed, a lot of athleticism in that area. So uh, hats off to Kyle Krantz, Mike Peterson. Uh, Travaris Robinson came in late and helped seal the deal. Uh, you know, so uh, those guys did a great job, along with obviously Will Muschamp. Uh, who is heavily involved in all the recruiting. So um, hats off to those guys. And, that you know, I think we all, uh, no matter who we pull for, we need something positive, positive things to happen. That's especially true with the Gamecocks. Uh, and so I think we're all, um, you know, that, that's a positive thing, you know, that happened on Sunday, him committing to South Carolina, surprisingly, over North Carolina. So good deal for the Gamecocks there. All right, sure, we'll have plenty to talk about tomorrow. Um, going to try to line up some guests, I think, at some point. I keep promising that. I need to send out some text messages today. Hope all of you have a wonderful Monday. This is J.C. Sherbert. This has been the Inside the Gamecocks podcast.